to have. I was going to say that there is a big piece of the the man too that we always cast aside. Oh, I definitely have not thought about the man at all. Like, sorry, I've already had (laughs) Cody listening to this podcast about like what he needs to do to prep. Like this is like six months down the road, but yeah, he thinks I'm crazy, but I'm not. Welcome to the Finding Your Shine podcast, hosted by best friends, Nina Boyce and Liz Garster. Enjoy a dose of Monday motivation each week as we interview people lighting up the communities of health and wellness, spirituality, and personal growth. Wherever you are on your journey to health, happiness, and self-love, our real and authentic conversations with guests will keep you inspired and empowered. And keep you laughing too. Thanks for listening. We're honored to join you in finding your shine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the podcast. I am literally geeking out over this episode because we are talking to Dr. Stephanie Zagragan. She's the clinical director of Lyme and Lotus Healing Arts Center in Charleston, South Carolina, and is an author and leading expert in women's health. Her private practice is centered around functional endocrinology, lifestyle modification, and whole food supplementation. So she is an expert in women's health, thyroid, adrenal, male and female hormones. All your all favorite of the things. things. All, all your of favorite my favorite. Things. And gut health. Like she, of course, promotes gut health because as you'll learn in the episode and something that I highly, highly preach is you can't heal the hormones if you don't also address the gut and the liver because the gut and the liver are the two biggest ways we eliminate excess hormones in the body. So we learn so much in this episode just about the way the body works, how we can honor our hormones and how we can also honor our mental health a little bit while we're doing it. Yes, I love, it's like I'm not on Nina's level with all of the hormonal health, gut health, all that stuff. Like I'm nowhere. I couldn't be like 180th on Nina's level, but I thought this conversation was a really fun way of taking some of those really, I don't know, sometimes very, I mean, it's obviously very unscientific, very complex ideas and breaking them down into really easily understandable things, actionable steps. And we cover everything from like menopause to period to just, you know, getting pregnant, like all, all areas where your hormones could be showing up and maybe causing you a little grief. Absolutely. So we cannot wait for you to dive in on this episode and stay tuned to the end because she's offering a special gift for all of the Finding Your Shine listeners. So make sure to stay tuned till the end of the episode so you can get all of the information on that. But last thing, before we hop into this interview, we want to remind you that we are less than six months out for the Empowered Voice Conference. And this conference is for any women interested in wellness, whether they have a blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or they're honestly just interested in the wellness field in general and maybe have the babyest thoughts of starting to share their voice through writing, podcasting, whatever that may be, come to the conference. We cannot wait to bring these amazing, amazing speakers to you guys from all across the country. Yes. We're, I think I'm most excited about the swag bags. Oh yeah. We have like an amazing swag bag for you. And we have, of course, food. You know, that's my jam. As you know, it's like my favorite thing on earth. Um, So you'll have lunch, you'll have snacks, you'll have swag bag. 
the opportunity to meet like-minded women. And that's honestly what lights us up the most in our work is the ability to network and meet people. So it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And we really hope, like Dina said, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, if you have a platform that you're looking to grow, or like you said, Nina, you're just baby interested in getting started, you will find a place at our event. Mm-hmm. So currently the tickets for this event are 147. And let me tell you guys, there's so much going into that ticket with the information you get from the speakers, the value from the swag bags. We have an exhibit hall with like over 15 booths where you can explore um, wellness sponsors and local vendors. And of course, the networking aspect, you are totally going to get a bunch out of this day. So make sure to head on over to empoweredvoicepodcast.com. Grab your early bird tickets there and we cannot wait to see you in September. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and start talking hormones with Dr. Stephanie Zagrakin. Hey, Finding Your Shine listeners, I am over the moon excited about this conversation today because we have Dr. Stephanie Zagragan on here, who is a women's uh, hormonal health expert and an author, and she is going to be talking to us all about hormones, which you all know is what I love to do. It's what I focus on in my own coaching practice. So I can't wait to ask her all of the questions um, and get you all of the goods on hormonal health. So if you wouldn't mind, could you um, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got into this line of work? Sure. Thanks for having me. First of all, ladies, it's going to be here. Of course. And I really started off just going, doing, knowing that I wanted to do something in the healthcare holistic field industry. I did my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology from Georgia State University. And from there, I hopped right into chiropractic school. I did four years of that program. So that's where my doctorate comes from. And while I was in chiropractic school, I still loved nutrition and wanted to do more. But what happened was in chiropractic school, I was going to class 40 hours a week. I was also working 20 hours a week at a local restaurant bar. And I was planning to graduate, move across the country, get married, start a practice, and everything else all at one time. And boy, it was stressful. Um, and at 25 years old, I started waking up in the middle of the night with night sweats. Uh, that was not normal. So I, I started having some of those symptoms. On top of that, my menstrual cycle was totally out of whack. It got so bad where my cycle was so heavy. And the cramps were so bad that I was literally planning my life around my period. And then with the stress, it continued to get worse. And every month, I pretty much had a migraine and was vomiting every single month. So I had to plan all my social functions, everything that I was doing around my period. And that just really didn't seem like an okay option for me. So I went the normal route, went to my gynecologist. They ran the lab tests that they run, you know, the normal blood work. And they told me that everything was normal. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, well, I don't think that, you know, having a heavy cycle, being in bed with cramps for two days, not, you know, being nauseous and vomiting every month was normal. But they said everything was normal. I said, this is not okay. They told me my options were either to cut out body parts or mm. take control. And being in a holistic um, education at that time, that really didn't sit well with me. So that's really when I started on the journey of learning what are all the hormones, um, how do they work, how do they interact with each other, 
Why the hell did my lab say that I'm normal when I don't feel normal? You know, what other options are there for us for testing or um, giving women options for, for healing? So I found a company that did more functional, more integrative testing. Um, I did my lab test. And what I found was my cortisol levels were off the charts. Uh, I had high estrogen. I had low progesterone. Uh, you know, I had high testosterone. Basically, I was a hot mess. Uh, so from there, I needed to figure out how do I fix that? Um, and with my background in, um, you know, being in the doctorate program, I had a lot of anatomy, physiology knowledge already, but then I had to learn the nutritional component, the herbal component. So it took me about a year, but over the course of the next year, I really was able to balance my cycle completely. And just within a couple months, I was feeling so much better. So from there, I graduated with my doctorate. I went back to school, did a master's degree in human nutrition. I'm also a certified nutrition specialist, a certified clinical nutritionist, and an applied clinical nutritionist as well. So I like... Just a few things that you are. Just a couple things. (laughs) I'm kind of a dork. <laughs> I joke with my patients and I tell them I'm trying to get more letters after my name than in my name. And I either need to get two more letters or get remarried and short my name. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Either way. I, I have to say, like, Liz has heard me say my story before, you know, in my when I go on podcasts or whatever, but it is honestly to a T. I was going to say, I was like, is this Nina? Like, almost exactly the same. Like, I was like, I was working full time. I was getting a master's degree. I was teaching on the side. I was doing all these things. I was taking a trip here. All of these, like, and I was getting married. All of these pieces and parts. And then it was like, I went to my gynecologist and then I went to my doctor and they told me to get on birth control or anxiety meds. And it was high cortisol, low progesterone, high estrogen. Yeah. Uh, all and then I then I started the journey down this world and I was like, oh my god, is she my story? I think she is. <laughs> like with more letters behind her last name, she's <laughs> my story. Or hormone BFFs, I love it. <laughs> I so know. Why is it like? And you know, I know we've talked a lot about like having to, and even recently, like you've had to do even more advocating for your health when you know you have a history of endometriosis and you've had to kind of push for that to be explored when you've gone to the gynecologist. But um, why why is it that like that's just not a default when we go to see our gynecologist that they're talking about like hormonal tests or other tests? Or is there a reason that that's not, like you said your options was like were like take out body parts or get on birth control? Why isn't there the third option of what you did? To be perfectly honest, it's just not, you know, given in medical school. You know, we go to a lot of our medical doctors for advice on nutrition and those type of things. But in all honesty, they don't get any nectional training. They might have one or two courses that are typically electives um, for your medical degree. Same thing with chiropractic school. We had a few classes that were electives as well. So those of us that are really interested have to do a lot more work and research and learning to really learn about it. And not only that, there's the functional side of things. You know, so many of my patients don't feel well, but they don't have a disease yet. You know, so they are in what I call that gray area of you're not broken yet. So as far as a lot of the labs go, they're going to say you're still normal, even though you don't feel like yourself. And unfortunately, so many women, when this happens, the doctors will typically say, well, we don't have the answers for you. Here's the antidepressant. Exactly. Yeah. Over, over and over again, I see that. And there are so many more options that we have for them. So I'm an advocate. You know, this is why I'm so passionate about educating women on options on what they can do, on the right test to take, you know, questions to ask their doctor. So we don't have to blindly just leave just because we're told something. You know, if, if something doesn't feel right to you intuitively, that's just your body telling you, do some more research, get a second opinion. 
Um, just keep digging and find the people that are out there that are really doing the work from a functional perspective. 100%. I think that awareness is the key. Like just, we just need to know. We need to know that number one, we're not crazy. Like it's nothing wrong with us. We're not making up the symptoms. And I think that's what a lot of women think. If the test says they're fine, that means that they must then be like going crazy, right? Like nothing's wrong with me. It's just all in my head. So what do they need to know Because even I have a challenge when I go in, like advocating for myself and knowing so much about it. What tests should they request? I know there's so many out there, but where's like the first place they should start as far as I get that I'm okay on paper, but this is what I'm asking that I need from you now. Yeah, there's there's a couple that I really like. And it really depends on if their issues are more in the anxiety fatigue realm or more in the my period's the problem realm. So we kind of, I guess we can divide it in those two. Um, so if you have more of the fatigue, more of the anxiety, that kind of thing, I would say I love to do adrenal panels on patients. And for me, adrenal panels are typically done with saliva. I want to do a spit test, if you will. Um, and the reason why I do that over blood is because I really want to see what your cortisol levels look like. Cortisol is that hormone that should be highest in the morning to wake you up and get you going and should come down and be lowest at night to help you go to sleep. The challenge is a lot of people have normal cortisols midday or you know in the morning. And that's usually when if you do the blood work, that's when you're going to get the blood work. So if you do a one-time blood test, it might show normal even though it's not. So I kind of call that a, fa- a false positive. Um, what I like about the saliva test is with most of the testing companies, and this is what you want to look for, find a testing company that does a whole day test, but you'll get multiple samples throughout the day. They'll test your cortisol in the morning, at lunchtime, in the afternoon, and then at night. So you can really see, do I have that nice curve that it's supposed to be? And then it also should measure your full cortisol output. So am I overproducing for the whole day? Am I underproducing? You know, and from there, you can really put together a game plan for, for you know, yourself, I can for a patient. I also look at DHEA, which I call that the mama hormone, because um, you need enough of that to be able to trickle down and make enough of your estrogens, testosterone, that kind of stuff. Um, I look at progesterone levels. Um, even with adrenals, uh, if those are messed up long-term, that starts to mess with, mess with your blood sugar handling, your immune system. So I also want to see some of those markers to see how in-depth is this um, challenge for that, for that particular person. So with all that data, I can give them really specific things to do. Because the challenge is, if you have high cortisol or low cortisol, it's typically the same, the same symptom. So just a patient coming to me and says, I feel XYZ, I can't tell them, well, your estrogen's high, your estrogen's low, your cortisol's high, your cortisol's low, because a lot of those symptoms are very similar. So that's where testing comes into play. So that's more of the adrenal anxiety side. For your female hormones, I also do saliva testing. Um, and I do a test that takes an entire month. It gives me the most data for my patients because once again, if you go on one day in your cycle and you feel great, you know, you may miss a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. That probably is what happened with me when I went to get my blood drawn that one day and they said I was normal. You know, if you're giving multiple samples throughout the day, so usually within the course of one period, so from the start of one period to the start of the next, you're going to give 11 different spit samples and the lab will test a whole bunch of hormones. So it tests for, you know, four different estrogens, it tests your progesterone, your testosterone, your DHEA, um, your luteinizing hormone, your follicular stimulating hormone. So not only are we looking at some adrenal health with that panel, we're also looking at your ovaries your brain, your hypothalamus, your pituitary, are those even functioning to, to make the signals proper? 
Um, I can also look at that graphs and charts that they give me and say, well, did this woman ovulate? You know, is her problems more at the beginning of the cycle? Is it more at the end of the cycle? And once again, once you have that knowledge, you can really put together some specific action plans for those patients. Um, so those are the two things that I typically get people to start asking for. I want that period test for myself. <laughs> Liz, we, um, so I took a saliva test back when, remember when we interviewed Candace? A yes. while ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any, actually there, that was what I was going to kind of spin off of was two, three separate questions, like all in the same. <laughs> when it comes to the saliva tests, number one, when I went to my gynecologist a couple months ago, I just wanted to make sure that there was no like underlying like endometriosis situation going on with me because my mom had endometriosis. So I was like, maybe we just need to make sure it rule that out. And I had happened to mention something about also like taking a saliva test. And she like looked at me like I was crazy. My gynecologist like, you don't want to do a saliva test. Those aren't accurate. Da, 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 da. And I was like, But also, like, I've taken one before, and I've heard many, many, many hormone specialists advocate for them. So my first question is, is your gynecologist going to put the kibosh on the saliva test, and do you need to go to a hormone expert or specialist like you? Or is this something they can do on their own and order a test, you know, on their own and sort of interpret? Like, what are your suggestions for going that route? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll tell you why they think that it's not the same. And I'll explain that to you. Most gynecologists are not going to run saliva panels because they haven't been trained in them and they don't know how to interpret them. So typically that's, unless you have a holistic gynecologist, that's probably not going to happen. Um, A lot of times they're also not covered by insurance. So these are all going to be self-pay things for you as well, um, unfortunately. From the other standpoint of, of, you know, why are we doing saliva over blood, that kind of stuff. Like I said, the, the saliva panel just gives you so much more data over the course of a month. And the reason why the gynecologist will say it's not accurate, here's what happened back when they first came out, because I'll explain this to you. When we look at drawing blood, we're drawing blood and getting the, the total hormone. So when they do your blood test, you're getting total estrogen, total progesterone, total testosterone. And that's everything from that hormone all at once. Well, when we look at saliva, we're actually taking the free portion of that hormone. So you have parts of the hormone that are bound to proteins and parts of the hormones that are unbound. So the unbound hormones are where your free hormones. So blood does the bound, so the total. Mm. Uh, Saliva testing does the free portion of the hormone. Now, whenever we do blood for women's health, we typically don't do our free hormones. Um, the, The challenge is the free hormones are what's functional. Now, ah. depending on what hormone we're talking about, 90 to 95% of the hormones are bound, not unbound. So I think what the, the pre- premise was beginning was, well, most of the hormones are bound anyway. So that's probably what we should be testing for. But really it's the free function, you know, the free fat fr- fraction of the hormone that's functioning today that we can measure the, how much are you using. The oh, analogy yeah. that I give to my patients is, um, you know, a sports team. So if we have a baseball team on the field, think of the total hormones, the bound ones, as the guy sitting on the sideline. The free hormones are who's playing in the game. Now, does it matter who's sitting on the sideline or who's playing in the game? You know, when it comes yeah. to your, mm-hmm. I want to know who's on the field. I want to know that I have players. It doesn't matter if I have 50,000 people on the bench. I need to make sure people are playing the game. 
So we want to test for free hormones. And it's really interesting because we figured this out for the thyroid gland because for the thyroid gland. I was just going to say, this sounds like the thyroid gland where you want it. What is it? Uh, Like T4 and like free T3 and all that. For the thyroid gland, we started getting this concept of testing total T4, free T4, total T3, free T3. But we haven't gotten that for our lady parts yet. Yeah. (laughs) Man, like we need to freaking catch up because I'm tired of like advocating for this. Like, let's get on the ball here, people. <laughs> yes. So the reason why, you know, they, they when saliva testing first came out, they started looking at the saliva testing results and comparing them to blood. Well, they weren't matching up because we're not comparing apples to apples. Right. Think yeah. The global hormones is the apples and the free hormones is the oranges. We're comparing apples and oranges. But when we actually look at blood work with free estrogen and we do saliva testing with free estrogen, now we're comparing oranges and we get similar results. So unfortunately, there's this big myth out there that they're not similar. And so everyone's just kind of pooed them, so to speak. Yeah. And that's the, the myth that's running through the medical community right now that, well, they're, they're not the same. It doesn't matter. You know, you shouldn't even do that. But they don't understand that we're not even looking at the things. Here's my challenge still when you say that. It's very, very hard to convince someone to go against what their gynecologist is saying, right? Because they've been through how many years of medical school for female reproductive system. And so how do we start to spread the awareness or how is it that... Let me take a step back. I guess I'm just like getting on my soapbox here. But (laughs) how is it that like we're starting to learn this, but are the doctors becoming aware of it? Like, is this something that they're starting to learn or becoming in? Have you seen like a shift that they're believing that this is something they need to take into consideration? For some, I think it is. Cause not only do I have a, I not only have a private practice, but I also travel the country and teach other healthcare practitioners about oh, this stuff. Wonderful. Um, so most, you know, most of the time in my classes, you have other chiropractors, acupuncturists, um, clinical nutritionists, but we're seeing more MDs coming in the fold, which is nice. You know, more of them are wanting to learn. I think that part of the issue is just because we do have an insurance-based healthcare system here. Yeah. There are certain, you know, just to CYA themselves, there are certain things that they have to do in order to make sure they're covered. You know, there are certain tests they need to run. They, if, they, if they have see a patient that has a certain condition, if they don't follow, you know, an algorithm to prescribe them a certain medication or whatever, and something happens in that patient, now they're liable. So I understand mm. the liability side that comes along with being a practitioner in any realm. So I think that is a piece of the puzzle as well. Um, yeah, and it is hard. You know, I never tell my patients, don't do what your doctor says or stop taking a medication because that's, Absolutely. You know, that's, not, on, you know, that's not my scope of practice either. However, I just tell patients, if something doesn't feel right you know, listen to your body, listen to your intuition. There are always other answers out there. And a lot of times, unfortunately for some patients, it just has to get bad enough to where they're finally like, that's it. Yeah. What are other options? And, and, you know, that's usually what happens. You know, I'm not the girl they typically come see first. I'm usually the one they see last. Yep. Hmm. Now I'm curious, um, just because like I myself have had some, some period issues lately that we need to address that kind of sound like, yours, but not nearly on the scale of like migraines and throwing up. But I'm curious, like how, because I just don't know, I mean, admittedly, unfortunately as a woman, like I don't know as much about periods as I feel like I should for having one every, you know, four weeks for so many years. (laughs) Um, How does your period 
change over time? And how do you know if, because I'm sure, I, I know mine has over time. It's very different than it was, you know, when I was like early 20s. How does it change over time? And how do you know if it's a change that's happening versus a potential hormone issue? That's a great question. I get that one a lot, actually. Oh, um, good. Okay. Other women think, don't know about their periods. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is other ways of how you're feeling. So your period can change a bit. It can get a little heavier. It can get a, light, a little lighter. I'm not too you know, concerned until we start seeing other symptoms. If you're feeling like you're getting more fatigued, if you're having issues with sleeping, insomnia, digestive issues, you know, that's when I'm starting to pull in the other pieces of, of the puzzle, too. If it changes drastically, like a whole 180, that's also when I'm looking for, okay, what's going on with, with the cycle, with your life? And one of the things that we maybe don't talk about as much is, is how much stress can affect the body. I know personally now, I've got my period pretty regulated. I, I didn't take any medicines to fix it. I did it all with food and herbs. And it's a heck of a lot better than it used to be without going the other routes that the traditional community wanted me to do. But I still know that if I go two or three months where I have heavy periods of stress, then my period gets heavier too. So I've just learned lifestyle things for myself personally to do. And those are the things I train my patients on. You know, how can we, you know, make modifications for our lifestyle and our diet? You know, maybe what herbs can we take? You know, I've got herbs that will, if if you have cramps and you've got you know, nor- normally popping a mitol around the time of the month. Um, I've got herbs that we don't have to take the medicines. So there's uh, so many options for us with that. But I'd say if, if something's gotten too out of out of whack and you're really, really feeling it and it's continuing to stay or get worse, that's when you should have something checked out. Gotcha. What are some of those herb or like nutri- overall nutritional recommendations that might do different things? And I'm sure it's different. Obviously, everybody's different. It's not like a one-size-fits-all thing. But what are some of the the food and um, yep. practices that you have seen work? Yeah, typically, you know, if we have lab work on a patient, I can give them really specifics where, hey, estrogen's high, this herb will lower estrogen, or if DHA is low, these herbs will help raise or lower depending on what we need to do. So we can't get super specific, but if we just want to talk in generalities, where I typically start my patients is going to be looking at the foundational principles of hormone health. And I think the biggest one that is sometimes overlooked is your digestive health. Because Nina's like literally crying tears (laughs) of joy right now. (laughs) I started with like a huge passion for gut health, but also with the hormones tied in. And then I was like, well, dude, these just both go hand in hand. So I'm just (laughs) going to keep learning about them both. They absolutely do. Because if you just jump into trying to balance your hormones or just starting to take hormone herbs, that may or may not work for you because we have the gut that has to process everything. So all of your estrogens, your testosterones, they have to be processed through your liver and then you've got to poop them out. So number one, I say to everyone, if you're not pooping, we have a problem as far as your hormones are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what ends up happening is the estrogen can build and build and build and build. And now you've got too much estrogen or or what we like to call estrogen dominance. So that can be just from not pooping or being chronically constipated. So that's the first thing. Um, But even backing up prior to the poop, we talk about all of my patients, (laughs) is making sure your liver is functioning properly. So if you're missing a gallbladder, that's a huge deal. If your liver is not working at 100%, and this does not by any means mean you have a liver disease or your labs say you've got a liver enzyme problem, but just if it's not functioning correctly, we might have issues with processing our estrogens. So we need to process the estrogens, then we need to get rid of them and excrete them. 
um, because a lot of the estrogen issues, it's always in relation to progesterone. So, you know, estrogen could be normal, but progesterone's low and right. we've got an estrogen dominance issue, but we can also have high estrogen and normal progesterone, but, and we still have the same problem. So it's really creating the balance between those two as well. So it's really looking at digestive health and gut health. You know, I really like putting my, my hormone patients first on a detox, like a hormone detox program, uh, because that is really kind of setting the stage for getting everything in balance. And for some people, they just need a nice, you know, month cleanse and they're good to go after that. And then other people, they need a little bit more work. So it just depends on each patient. Do you mind touching a little bit on, so you brought up um, with estrogen, you could have low progesterone, which is causing your high estrogen. And I've seen that that seems like low progesterone is like the thing that most of the women are dealing with. Is there an imbalance that you find is more prominent, like high cortisol, low progesterone as like a generality that you can kind of explain to the audience? Yeah. Um, your adrenal glands, which are the glands that sit over your kidneys, they're walnut-sized um, glands. They are in charge of making cortisol. So that's that stress hormone. Um, and unfortunately, most of us are stressed these days. So when cortisol goes high, we, ha- we see this correlation that happens. So cortisol goes high. Um, it pumps out more insulin. So now we have high insulin, and that's how we get that imbalance of sugar handling with the adrenals. And then estrogen ro- rolls high. And then thyroid gland gets pushed down. So over time, if you don't fix these challenges, you'll probably see that you're having blood sugar handling issues, or we call that hangry. So if you're getting hangry more, um, estrogen dominance, and then hypothyroidism becomes the next kind of trickle on, on down the track there. Yeah. that Well, we're all chronically stressed, right? So I feel like that That in itself, when you talk about how nutrition and lifestyle are like your two go-tos, like with functional, you know, medicine and fixing all these things, um, the lifestyle piece I'm sure is like stress, right? Do you address that very highly with your clients? Yeah. You have to. And, you know, patients always ask me too, once we get labs back, well, how long is this going to take to fix? And, you know, I can give them generalities of what it typically takes based on their labs. But if I have a patient that has um, a very high stress job, or maybe she's going through a divorce or she's got, you know, really rough family life right now. Maybe she's taking care of an elderly parent. You know, those patients I know are just going to take longer to heal because they just don't have, you know, the, the stress, you know, is, is too high in, the, in their system. Now that doesn't mean we can't heal. It just means that we might take a baby step, you know, two steps forward and a baby step back. But as long as we're moving in the right direction with my patients, then, then I'm happy. It doesn't matter if it takes a little bit longer, as long as we're kind of trucking in the right direction. I actually wanted to make one more point. You said this earlier, like you're really aware of your body. So if you're in a high stress time, you know some things that you need to do to help balance your body out. And I think that's something that's really important for women to know is that like your body isn't going to be in 100% balance all the time. Like that's not gonna a ask thing. That. Yeah, so that's not a thing. And I know even for myself, I can get frustrated. Like I'm doing all the things. I'm watching my stress. I'm doing yoga. I'm sleeping. I'm eating well, all blah, 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 blah. And then you have like a week or a really bad period and you're like, what is this all for? Like I, you know, but you have to remember that your body is doing its best. So what advice do you give to women um, to be patient? Because I think sometimes when that happens, it's like, I'm just getting on the pill. Like, you know, it's almost like you want to give up easy because you're like, it's just too hard. So do you have any advice for the listeners on that? Yes. um, Just take it day by day. And I think that we 
we see the health journey only as moving forward in one direction, but really it's, it's a dance. It's up and down, it's back, it's forth, it's backwards sometimes. And, And that's okay. You know, as long as, you know, and this is why, you know, I think it's good to work with some kind of practitioner or, or an expert that can really look at everything that's going on and actually monitor it because it's really hard for us as humans to remember exactly what happened a month ago. Right. Yeah. So unless yeah. you're an awesome journalist and you're like writing, you know, diary, you know, doing a diary where you're writing everything down, it's really hard to remember, well, how was exactly my last period? But if you've got a practitioner that's actually like I take copious notes with my patients. I can tell them how many times they pooped last month. I can tell them, you know, um, what their period was like because I'm writing it all down so that a couple months from now we can look back and say, well, well, what are the changes? They might be minor, you know, maybe um, your period was a really, it's always been very long and usually it's bleed for 12 days, which is a lot. Um, but if we worked it down to 10, you know, the woman might say, well, this is still really bad. Well, yes, but it's no longer 12 days. We're now 10. We're, we're, we're improving, but it's just putting it into you know, perspective, having mm-hmm. someone to put in perspective, yeah. be motivated and also help you, you know, celebrate the little, the little milestones along the way. Now, what if I know several of our listeners, like I'm sure, well, more than several, I'm sure many of our listeners are on <laughs> birth control. Does like, and they're, you know, they use it for either like pregnancy prevention or it was recommended at some point or whatever. Is does any of this change for those women specifically who are on birth control versus those who aren't? Like, does your does how you interact with the world from like a hormone management standpoint look different for those two groups? Absolutely. For sure. Because with, if you're taking birth control, you're artificially putting hormones in every single month. Mm -hmm. So when we look at doing hormone panels, I don't generally recommend that, you know, full month long hormone panel because you're already putting, you're already officially putting in hormones. Right. So we might instead do the adrenal panel to really see how are your adrenal glands working. Then I always ask women that too, why are you on birth control? If it's for pregnancy prevention, and you're not wanting to be on birth control, I teach women natural family planning. So how can we not get pregnant, but also do that in a manner that's more holistically minded? So I can teach them that. Um, if they have, uh, if they're on birth control due to my period was really, really bad before, and I want birth control to kind of, you know, coach that, then I'll start working on the foundational principles with them and eventually have a conversation of do they want to come off or not. And, and a lot of them, if they're coming to see me, they usually do. So you know, it wouldn't be just go off willy-nilly before doing any other things. Because um, so many women have told me, well, I've tried to come off five different times. And every time I try to come off birth control, it's horrendous. So a lot of times I want to set a lot of things into place first, like really give doing a cleanse with them, really getting their gut in check. So that when, when they do come off the birth control the next time, then it's a lot easier of a process for them. So many of my women are like, I can't believe how easy this was. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent a good three months really working on some of those foundational principles they really don't have a lot of challenges a lot of times. Hmm. Interesting. Do you find it difficult when it comes to the nutrition piece and informing women on some modifications they have to make there and having like some resistance with it? And also what are your go-to nutritional practices when it comes to balancing hormones? All good questions. (laughs) Um, Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. Um, Yeah, I think that you... We'll sometimes get resistance with with patients. You know, they want to maybe not make changes, but also, like I said, a lot of patients are coming to me at the wits' end. Else. So they're like, just tell me what to do. I'll right. Do 
Yeah. And I'm also a practitioner that doesn't throw everything in the kitchen sink at them at one time because I understand psychology of things. And I understand that, you know, I want to get my patients some really nice wins within the first six weeks of working with me without, and without it being too complicated because if things are too complicated, it's too hard to do. I know that compliance is going to go down or it's only going to, it's not going to be a sustainable uh, program for my patients. So I like to do like little bits at a time. So between appointments with the patient, if I'm working one-on-one with them, I might only give them two or three things that they really need to focus on for that month. And I really want them to do that really, really well. And then we can add the next phase. A lot of times when it comes to food, I'm not taking away food at first. I'm usually adding food and then I take away later. (laughs) Mm, That's a really good idea. Yeah. That seems to increase compliance as well. Mm -hmm. Crowd in before you crowd out. That's right. Throw it in before Mm -hmm. you pull it out. And then the other thing too is I want them to eat as much of the nutrients as possible. So I'll go over with them what I want, what nutrients we need and what amounts would be a therapeutic dose, if you will. And they will tell me if they'll either eat that food, yay or nay, or if they'll eat that much of that food, yay or nay. And if the answer of either of those is nay, then that's when I use supplements. Mm -hmm. So it's really based on them how much we will do. Um, you know, and I always tell my patients, I'm pretty blunt and frank with everybody. Say, if if it's something you're not going to do, tell me up front, because I'm not here to waste your time and your money. Let's get together a game plan that, that is going to work for you, that you're comfortable with, that we can actually take and run with so we can see some real results. Oh, I love that. I have, (laughs) so I want to know your opinion then on the gluten and dairy thing and hormones, because I have so many books with my favorite doctors and it's very consistent like gluten, some include grains, some don't. And um, like non-gluten containing grains, some include that as like something not to touch, but I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. And then dairy. So I'm curious what your stand is on that. Yes. Um, It varies for each patient, you know, and it depends on what they're bringing to the table. So for instance, if they have any kind of autoimmune disease, if we know there's a thyroid condition, I definitely want them for sure, 100% off gluten and definitely off dairy if we can do it. Now, I also understand that I'm not going to be that one standing over them saying, you have to do this and, and make them feel guilty and bad about it either. But I don't want food to have that kind of connotation to the patients. So generally, my, my talk with them is, what can we do to make substitutions? So if we're not going to go 100% dairy-free, you know, what are choices we can make? If we're not going to go 100% grain-free, like the next time you're at the store grab a grain food product and try it. So we can start adding things in so they're not doing as much grains or as much gluten. But yeah, the preference is definitely going to be gluten-free for a lot of those patients and and dairy-free for a lot of them as well, if if they'll do it. But once again, it's always Mm -hmm. compliance. Is there a quick way to explain why those two seem to be on the top of the list as far as hormones go? Well, the biggest challenge I think with gluten isn't necessarily gluten itself, but how we bastardized it into yeah. where Amen. <laughs> yeah. Liz just got back from Italy, so she knows Girl. <laughs> the difference. They do gluten and dairy very different over there. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if we were eating European raw dairy, I would say it's probably okay for a lot of people. Um, but we've just created so much inflammation in, in our yeah. digestive tracts with how we process the, you know, the dairy. It's not, it's homogenized. It's not raw anymore. We're have a lot of hormones in there already. So if they're going to do any of that, it needs to be dairy or sorry, it needs to be organic, you know, hormone free. 
and is preferably raw if they're going to do any raw kind of dairy and um, would be my preferences or raw, you know, if they're going to do cheese, raw cheeses. Raw is um, good. Time out. Where does one find like raw che- I've never, well, I've never Fresh looked for time. raw cheese. There's some at Fresh Time, Liz. Oh, does it say just and, like non-pasteurized? Yeah, so I think it says raw cheese. Okay. It will say made from raw milk on the back. Like I okay. found it at Costco. Huh. Now, how does that, I'm just, I'm sidetracking here, but I don't know anything about raw dairy. Um, <clears throat> like, does that in terms of like how long it lasts or any, or ways that you take care of it, is it different? Like in the fridge? Because <laughs> I mean, I would switch <laughs> to raw dairy. <laughs> Well, it won't last as long in your fridge right. because of how it's produced or, mm-hmm. or how it's not heated. So it definitely have a, a shorter shelf life, and that's pretty much. The, oh, so I don't have to do anything special to it. Like, no, it usually tastes better too. Oh. Um, yeah, it's good. We have a goat farm here in Charleston, and they do raw goat milk. And I'm not a fan a lot of times of the goat milk products on the shelf because they taste really gamey. Mm-hmm. But if you that. What I've found personally is that I feel that it gets gamier the longer it sits. So if you oh. fresh and drink it, it t- the, the raw goat milk almost tastes like raw cow milk to me. Hmm. So we can even do other substitutions. So if, if someone's not doing cow dairy, a lot of times they might be able to do goat if they want goat or sheep. So those are some substitutions too that I try to get patients to make just to try new things as well. I've really played around with dairy for a long time and it just never works for me. Like I've got on the grass-fed butter train and I've done just like even like Siggy's yogurt I know is like made from grass-fed cows and things like that. And I've tried some raw cheese and man, like no matter what I do, it just doesn't make me feel good and makes my face break out like crazy. So I just kind of, I don't know, like maybe once in a while I'll eat it. But even with goat's cheese and sheep's milk and things like that, I just, it doesn't go well for me. Can you do... Do you have those same issues with butter or ghee? Like I said, when I've done grass-fed butter and I've cooked with it, I still feel like it's just my face. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you really do have that sensitivity. So for you, yeah. you just lay off the dairy. And, and that's something great too, is when you're listening to your body, you know, not everyone will necessarily need to be dairy-free or, you know, nightshade-free, but right. it's just really to start listening to their body. And if they keep getting some symptoms or their um, pulse goes up after they eat, certain foods consistently, that's when we might want to make some of those changes. Mm-hmm. Is it common? Because I've recently have had... The issues with dairy are recent for me. I used to be like eating blocks of cheese gal. Like that was me as a youth. So this is very... This is uncharted territory for me. Um, and now I have like these horrible, horrible digestive issues that come about. And I wonder, is it common? I went for a period of time where I cut out dairy like mm-hmm. for this very reason, not a hundred percent, but like mostly. Was um, that with me? It was before you. And then, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then when I reintroduced it, that's when I had, then I was like, the dairy is not my friend anymore. Um, is that <laughs> common to like make that modification? Then if you're like, oh, like we're going all in on this cheese right now, have your body be like, what is happening? <laughs> Sometimes it can. And sometimes we see that as we age, our body may take on some sensitivities as well, just with age. So I know. That's not what you wanted to hear, Liz. No, it's not. I want to stay young forever. You (laughs) turn 30 and dairy no more. And I'm not the only person. I found two people the other day that had the 30 dairy issue. And I was like, this is what getting old feels like now, I guess. (laughs) 
Ladies, just wait till 40. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. What we just turned 30. We just turned 30 this past. Yeah, what happened? Early menopause? <laughs> no, that's what we don't want. I have so many women that that's what we're dealing with, though, is that early. At 40. Yeah. When or even is... earlier, I've seen women in their 30s where they lose their periods. When yeah. is menopause supposed to happen? I haven't thought that far ahead yet. Well, it ranges for most women, anywhere from usually 40s to mid-50s. Um, and we think of it as like a light switch that goes off, but that's really not the case. It's, it's a process. You know, remember when we went through puberty, it happens slowly and over time. Same thing that happens when you move into, into menopause. So that perimenopause range can last anywhere from a few months to up to eight years. So just slowing down of the ovarian production of the hormones and kind of moving into not having a cycle. And for so many women, what starts happening is their cycle, just the, the length of time between cycles just gets longer apart. So they might skip a cycle. A lot of them will say, I skipped the cycle. I didn't bleed, but I had all the symptoms that I would have had with, without having an actual period. So I see that a lot. And the biggest, I guess, myth that we're told is that we don't make hormones anymore after menopause. And that's not true. The ovarian production of those hormones decreases, but instead what we need to do is ramp up our adrenal glands to make those. If our adrenal glands can't make those, the only other place that we can really make up a hefty amount of those hormones is in our fat cells. And this is why so many women that are stressed out end up gaining 10 to 25 pounds um, during that perimenopause period because they've got their, their body's wanting to make the hormones and the only other place they can make it is by creating more fat cells to do it. Uh, there isn't there a time and a place when you are in menopause where you really do need to supplement if your ovaries aren't making them and your adrenals aren't making the necessary hormones. What's your thoughts on like not it's not artificial hormones. There's like a lot of natural forms of hormones that older women are using now. So can you explain that a little bit for anyone listening that might be in that stage of their life? Yeah, when we talk about hormones, there are what are synthetic hormones. So that are those are hormones that are made in a lab. Um, we've got bioidentical, which... That's the word I was looking yeah. for. <laughs> we have bioidenticals that might come from soybeans or yams or other type of foods. And so if, you, if you're going to take exogenous or something from the outside in, you're, those are going to be your two choices. You either have synthetic or you have bioidentical. Um, what I prefer is to be even more conservative than either of those approaches and get your body to make them itself because we mm. should be able to make our own hormones in its appropriate amounts for our whole lives. That's how we're designed. Right. Um, so my approach is we'll get a baseline score of where everything's at, you know, get a baseline reading. And then from there, we can really work with food and herbs to balance out whatever needs to be balanced for you. Mm. What I will tell you, doing hundreds, actually thousands of these at this point, um, women that use the creams, you know, the progesterone and estrogen yes. creams, yeah. I am not a fan of those because those uh, are what are called lipotrophic, meaning they build up in your skin. So what I'm seeing yeah. on these labs is women might have some symptoms. They go and get a cream. They start using the cream. They start feeling a bit better. But then what happens is after a while, the symptoms come back and they're like, hey, 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 what happened? I was feeling bad. I was doing a cream and now I'm feeling bad again. And what happens is because these creams are lipotrophic, they're building up in the fat cells. Mm. So you just get more and more and more and more and more. And when I actually do labs on these women, they're they're literally off the chart. Like the lab, the lab company can't even tell me how much they have of the certain hormones because wow. they can't even test that high. Um, so then I have to tell these women, hey, sorry, you... And some of these women have been prescribed this. So some are just kind of taking it 
doing it on their own. Some are actually prescribed these these creams. Um, and I have to tell them, you are way overdosed right now. So then there's a process of, well, let's clean this out of your system and then get a true baseline as to where your body's at. And then we bounce yeah. from there. So sometimes I'm happy to even do some cleanup work, if you will, with with yeah. yeah, when I even did my testing um, a while ago, like something that came up was taking the progesterone cream. And I didn't do it just because I read a lot about that and how it can just, it will give you more than what you need. And, da, 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 da. and I'm always really weary of anything like that in general. Um, so I didn't end up doing it. But what are some of the things or even like your go-to supplements or nutrients that your body needs to really help balance the body? Just a few, if you can. Yeah. Some of the biggies that I'm a fan of are B vitamins. Um, and yes. especially if you're on a birth control, you know, if you're on birth control, one thing that I don't think it's told that needs to be told to women is certain nutrients are going to be depleted by being on birth control. Yeah, All your B vitamins <laughs> are one of them. Uh, a lot of your minerals are, are the others as well. So I would say if you're on birth control, be on a really good multi-mineral, be on a really good B-complex product. Um, and just for hormones in general, um, your B vitamins are going to be essential. Um, selenium is good. So a good multi-mineral for, for your women as well. Um, and really looking at how we can support the liver. So foods like beets and your cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, all the those yummy ones. Um, things like carrots, lemons, avocado, walnuts. Uh, a lot of my tea. favorite foods. <laughs> what? said <laughs> a lot of my favorite foods. Oh, good. I'm glad you <laughs> like those, Liz. So, and it's, it's also making sure... You know, when people say, oh, I, I like those foods and say, oh, I like beets. Well, how often do you eat beets? You know, you can't right. just eat it once a month and expect yeah. some therapeutic benefit from it. So these are foods that we want to be eating more consistently, weekly, monthly, et cetera. You know, I can tell you every month when I, or every week when I go to the grocery store, I personally eat a pound of carrots, a big container of mushrooms, two and a half pounds of broccoli at, you know, at the least a pound of asparagus. So these are a bunch of onions. So I know for me, those are things I'm always grabbing every single week that I eat personally to make sure that I'm up with all these um, nutrients myself and then kind of layer things on in between all that. One quick question as far as nutrition goes for um, animal products. What's your stance on that? Are you like pro-vegan, vegetarian? Are you all about the nutrients in meats? What's the details there? I am pro meat for a lot of my ladies, but I will say that and also say I am pro clean meats. Um, right. Because so many, you know, if we're not buying organic, then we may be getting additional estrogens in our food. So I definitely want clean sources of, if you're doing eggs or dairy or meats. So really making sure they're organically sourced is going to be important. So that's number one. Because a lot of times, like we've already mentioned, the liver is such a big deal for cleaning out. The, the, the hormones. One of the major players of your detox pathways is going to be making sure you have adequate glycine and creatine. And the biggest ways to get that is going to be from meat and specifically in beef. So women, and this is a lot of times too why they might crave those foods. They're like, wow, why am I always craving beef? Like I don't even want chicken anymore. I hear that so many times. So if they have a heavy period, a lot of times we have iron issues. So we want to build the iron back up and beef is a great way to do that. But also, if we're looking to kind of clean out the liver and get your glycine and creatine levels up, um, beef is going to be one of the better, the most economic choices for that too. Do you have any sort of thoughts on like how often you should eat that? Because I've also read lots of conflicting research on if you have like really bad cramping or 
you know, acne and things like that, you might want to reduce your red meat. So I personally play around with it. And when I'm craving it, I'll eat a grass-fed burger and that like, it feels really good and nourishing to me. But I also notice when I do, you know, space it out and don't eat too much, I also feel really good. So there's like a really fine balance for me personally. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I think the balance is going to be different for every single woman, of course. Um, so always, always, (laughs) So I'd say start off with maybe once or twice a week and just go go from there. You can always increase or decrease, you know, and maybe it's when she's having her period, especially those women that have really, really heavy cycles, they might, you know, a lot of times they're going to not feel as well moving into their period. So a lot of times they have a lot of um, PMS, you know, nausea, liver kind of symptoms ahead of time. So they're not going to want meat before the cycle. But then as soon as the cycle starts, they're like, give me a lot of beef. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just say, listen to your body. Um, if you're craving it, go ahead and eat it. You know, be mindful of, you know, the quality. And I also say too, you know, we don't have to eat huge, you know, eight ounces, 12 ounces at a time. We can eat very small portions. So it's just about getting a little bit in along with a ton of fruits and vegetables. Got it. Now, this is a loaded question and we don't have to like, we could probably have a whole episode on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if there are things to be mindful of if we have listeners that are either thinking about becoming pregnant or maybe are pregnant and will soon be not pregnant. Um, things to consider with your heart. I mean, I know it's like the most generic broad question ever, but what do we need to, what kind of extra care do we need to give our hormones in terms of balance in those times of like getting ready to be pregnant or like having baby? I love that question. Liz, we need a whole nother. I know it's like that's like that. I'm sure there's, but but okay. I'll give you the quick general. Let's do the pre-pregnancy because that's probably what I see the most of with women is they're saying, well, we you know we want to start a family soon. What can we do? And I really think that a piece of what's missing in healthcare today is preconception care. You know how do yeah. we, how do we get mommy or soon to be mommy ready and daddy ready? I was going to say that there is a big piece of the the man too that we always cast aside. Oh, I definitely have not thought about the man at all. Like, sorry, I've already had (laughs) Cody listening to this podcast about like what he needs to do to prep. Like this is like (laughs) six months down the road, but yeah, he thinks I'm crazy, but I'm not. Anyway, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's quite all right. You know, so as far as preconception care goes, um, you know, I want my women on whole food based, you know, nutrients that are, or supplements that are made from food. So a good whole food multivitamin, a good whole food multimineral. Folate is going to be a good option to start with before you're pregnant. So those are the things you want to be taking now before pregnancy. Also looking at maybe some fish oil, something like that that's going to be more, you know, anti-inflammatory for the patients. And both the men and the women can take the multivitamin, the multimineral, the, the fish oils, all that will be perfect for both of them. I also know that in this day and age, we are so toxic. So a lot of my patients, both for both mommy and daddy, prior to getting pregnant, I put them both through a, a month-long detox because I want to clear as much junk um, out of their system as possible before they get pregnant. Because the worst thing I think, the biggest disservice we can do to that unborn baby is put toxins through its system before it's even born. So really cleaning out the mom, cleaning out the dad before pregnancy <clears throat> is where I typically start. And then one of the things that we're seeing now in the research is showing that mommies, that when they are pregnant, the more probiotics that we're doing in pregnancy, during pregnancy, the less likely the child is going to have eczema and skin rashes and those type of issues yeah. when they're born. 
So um, I definitely recommend once they are pregnant um, to be doing probiotics throughout that journey as well. That's That concept is so fascinating to me. And just like what the dad eats and what the mom eats and making sure that baby's healthy. And then also the whole gut health piece, because like, you know, like things happen during pregnancy. I know we all know like sometimes C-sections have to happen. And then there's like a big bacterial thing there if they're not vaginally birthed. And then also like, how about how the mom's gut health when she's pregnant with the baby? And I mean, and then we're seeing so many young babies with allergies and like you said, skin allergies and things like that. And that's another thing I've noticed that really isn't brought up in the medical system is sort of those behind the scene things that we can do. My friend, I have two friends and both of their husbands are doctors. And so I'm frequently like asking them all these questions. Like these are the things that I'm going to be crazily asking all of you when I'm pregnant and have a baby. Like, I just want to make sure you all are okay with me asking these insane questions. I love it. And, and I, you know, when I work with a woman that is pregnant, I'm taking her through that you know, three trimesters. So I'm educating her on what to expect the changes for her body. That trimester, we're going over the most common things that that may arise during that trimester. And a lot of the women that are seeing me, they want options that are as natural as possible. So whenever there's something that comes up during pregnancy, whether it's acid reflux or fatigue or swelling of the ankles, I typically have natural solutions or herbs that we could do for pregnant mom too. So We have so many things that can help with any kind of discomforts they may have. I'm also an advocate for teaching them about their birth plans and how to make sure they're enacted properly um, because sometimes they're not. And so really educating both mom and dad on that. So that's typically how I take someone through, through pregnancy, if you will. I feel like we should do like a part two podcast at some point and just talk about pregnancy. We do need to. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, where can our listeners find more on all of the stuff that you're doing, whether they're pregnant or not pregnant and just looking to balance their hormones and get some really helpful um, information or perhaps work with you? Yeah. I'm all over social media so they can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. But the easiest route if you want to learn more about me and the services that I offer um, is at my website. It's drzagragon.com. And we'll put it in the show notes so they don't have to worry about spelling it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll be there. I was thinking about spelling it, but I'm sure we'll put some in the show notes so that'll be perfect. It'll be there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about my favorite topic of all time. I feel like I could just go on and on for like hours and have so many questions. So I really appreciate you um, sharing your insight with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And as a gift to all your listeners, yes. I have a morning detox routine that's free for them to download. I wanted to create something that was quick, easy, and the principles that I have in this download are all things that can be done within five minutes and are pretty much free to do. Or very, if you have to buy a couple things, it's very low cost. And if you just start doing this every morning and create it part of your routine, it's definitely going to help you detox to really start with balancing those hormones. And for anyone that's listening that wants to take it to a whole nother level, um, I have a 28-day hormone reset detox program that's all online. And as a special gift for your listeners, we're going to do that at half off for them. So I'll send you all the links for all those goodies. Thank you. We'll link to those in the show notes for sure. And they can also head to your website to download the free guide. Perfect. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel much 
better informed about my body and how it works, um, as well as the role that hormones play in making sure everything is going smoothly. A big thanks again to Dr. Zagragan for coming on and sharing all of this wonderful information with us. Um, if you would like to learn more about her, please hit up the show notes. We have all of her resources there, including the discounted offers that she offered at the end of the episode. So we encourage you to go over there and get everything that you would need to start that hormone detox if that is something that you are interested in doing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, don't forget about the Empowered Voice Conference on September 21st. You can either head on over to Eventbrite and search Empowered Voice. You'll find us there. Or you can head on over to EmpoweredVoicePodcast.com and you can purchase your tickets at the bottom of that page. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us for yet another week and we will catch you next Monday. See you guys then. 